Lord, we just thank for this time to get together and to look into the Word. We ask you to help us to understand and see what is coming in the, in the future. And we just thank you in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 16. At the end of chapter 15, and most of chapter 15, we were talking about the real temple in heaven. And so we're going to get into chapter 16 here. Verse 1, And I heard a voice, a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of wrath of God upon the earth. So we'll stop there for just a moment. Remember, we talked about how there's been this pause between the trumpets, the seals, the trumpets, and then there's been this long pause. There was a, a pause between the seals and the trumpets where we talked about the whole attitude of God changing toward the world and the intensity of the tribulations increasing. And we've had this pause between the trumpets and the vials, and it now talks about the wrath of God, okay? So we're talking about a huge change in the way God is dealing with man, and we're going to see this change as we go forward here. And uh, the angels are told to go and pour the, pour the wrath of God out of these bowls. Verse 2, And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men, which had the mark of the beast, and, and upon them which worshipped the image. So this vial is poured on the earth, and it says there, there fell, or literally there came into existence, a noisome and grievous sore. And this is kind of an interesting word because noisome is the word kakos, which means bad in nature. <laughs> okay, so this, this sore that's being described is a word that's used of, of talking about evil, evil and, and bad. And it means something that's wrong. And it's an injury that is, and then it's uh, troublesome, this is a, uh, has a word of troublesome, pernicious, destructive. And pernicious is an interesting word because it is uh, that which destroys or ruins, causing great harm. So this, these sores that are coming on men are going to be really bad. Uh, and we, you can think of some of the bad injuries we have now. We have staph. We have MRSA. We have all these infections, uh, you know, the thing that was in the news a lot, a few, about, uh, I guess, nine years ago, a decade ago, the flesh-eating bacteria that was, once you got it, it just kept eating at you, and, and they were having a hard time getting it under control. And we, I would think, when I'm thinking of what it's describing here, I'm thinking of something of that nature. It's, uh, and it's talking about a grievous sore, which is, in this case, it's the word poneros, which is literally evil. It's a mischief maker. <laughs> poneros, it's a, an annoyance. And we're talking about sores and injuries that are going to probably drive people crazy. Uh, everybody who's taken the mark of the beast or worshiping the beast are going to get these sores upon them. Now, it doesn't mean that you, just yeah, because you I get something like that, you're evil. Well, no. I mean, but in this case, things are just going to get yeah. so bad, everybody's going to get it. And, it's going to, and by the sound of it, it's something they can't cure. And, and we see things like this happening. Even the things that are hitting us now are getting harder and harder for a lot of the doctors to get rid of with the antibiotics and everything because man is creating viruses and bacteria that aren't able to be killed by them. And so we're going to see, and I see at the end of Revelation, that's the kind of thing you're looking at. 
things that are so bad that they just can't get rid of it. And one of the things that on these sores is that it, it talks about pus-producing sores or ulcers. And if you've ever had something that's ulcerated, it's it's oozing all the time, and it's and and. But this is a specific punishment upon those who are worshiping the beast and and taking his mark, and this is that first one. It's going to get against the flesh itself. The verse three says, and the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Yeah. Reminiscent of the plagues on Egypt, where Nile was turned into blood or something like blood, anyway. And here it says, as bl the blood of a dead man. Okay, this is totally different in one thing. If you've ever seen blood that is congealed, you know, we see it only mostly in movies for most people, unless you're around, you know, dead animals or something. But blood has this way of congealing and turning very dark. A pool of blood will, you know, will turn very dark and will be, it doesn't even feel, you know, it doesn't look or feel like blood. It is <laughs> very thick. So this is what's going to happen to the sea. And sea here does not just mean oceans and the Mediterranean Sea. It's any large, larger body of water. Okay, so lakes fall under this. Yeah. Uh, now remember, we had a previous time when the, the, lake, when the rivers and lakes had been judged, but only a quarter of them were destroyed. Here, it's indicating that all of the water is going to be this way. Okay, this is where we're saying the intensity is all of a sudden going, you know, there was mercy in the first one in the trumpets, and here we are at this one, and it is full-fledged attack on mankind. This is God's wrath, his anger. Again, the purpose of this is to try to bring people to God. We're going to see that they don't because this is going to tell us here that they're not going to as a, as a group. So the third angel poured his vial on the rivers and the fountains of waters, and they became blood. And then, then John says, And I heard the angel of the waters say, You are righteous, O Lord, and art who which wert, art and hast and shall be, because you have judged thus. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. This is kind of an interesting, the angel of the waters. Uh, this is pretty much a Jewish idea that angels are in charge of the elements. There's an angel over water, angel over the, the land, you know, that type of stuff. So we have the angel saying, God, you are worthy. Even though the water has been destroyed and it's been basically taken, you know, according to you know, the Jewish mentality, this angel was responsible for keeping the waters and pure and everything. God, because you've destroyed it, you are still holy and righteous. And it really is talking about the sovereignty of God. God has the right to do with the earth and people what he wants to because he made it. That would be just like us if we built a huge model of the world or something. We would have the right to, to crush it, destroy it, whatever, because it belongs to us. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. I bought it, so I get to wreck it. Yeah, I made it. I made it. It's mine. I can do what I want with it. But don't you dare do anything yeah. that I can do. Yeah. yeah, you know, you can't touch this and destroy yeah. it, but if I wanted to, I could, I could level the whole thing and there's no problem. So, and this is where, when people ask, why does God do something? Well, number one, he's got the right to do it if he wants. And look at us. And we deserve it. Yes. So the only thing keeping him from destroying it is his, his, his mercy. Yes. Uh, otherwise, this world would have been gone. gone a long time ago if it wasn't for his mercy. 
So when he sends judgments that seem awfully harsh to people, they're still Be you know, very small as far as what, he, what we deserve. So verse 6 says, why is he righteous in it? Because they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and so he's given them blood to drink. The world has shed the blood of Christians over time. The Jewish leaders have shed the blood of prophets over and over and over and over again. They're doing it still now. And still, well, yeah. not so much at this moment, but they, they've done it. The Israel, Israel has done it, but now it's, now it's the Muslims involved. And, you know, the, the whole world has been shedding Christians' blood since for the last 2,000 years. So we've got this, and it says, you are worthy because of this. And then out from under the altar says, even so, Lord, true and righteous are your judgments. This is what we've always got to keep in mind. Whatever God does is true and righteous. Even when he allows hardships to come our way to help us grow, he's still being true and righteous because he's there to help us grow. We may not think it's true and righteous when we're in the middle of it. We may not think it's true and righteous when we see it, but it is true and righteous. God is using it to do something mighty and do something good. In this case, all this wrath is, is, is designed to try to bring people to him, but we're going to see that they respond the same way that Pharaoh and the Egyptians did and reject him anyway. Verse 8, And the fourth angel poured his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And the men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which has power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. So here we are. We're seeing a lot of the plagues that happen to Egypt type things happen. The, the water turning to blood. The, the, you know, this is going to cause some, some issues with the fire. But it says that he pours the vial on the sun and it was given to him to scorch men with fire. This kind of indicates major solar flares or some form of super, uh, supernova in the sun. Uh, and we know if you've ever seen the flares and everything, you know, there's those times when there's really active flares and flares can mess up electronics and, and everything else. And if we had a really big flare up, it could reach out far enough into the, you know, into the, out there to affect us with heat if it happened to pass at the right time and come out far enough. Uh, we could picture this by science. <laughs> you know, a flare so big that it, you know, comes out, comes close enough to the earth to really increase the heat of this earth. And if you think about this, all about this, it's been said over and over by people. The earth's position and distance from the sun is just perfect for the right temperature. A few degrees closer to the sun would be too hot. A few degrees too far it would be too cold for, for life. And all we need is a, a major solar flare or some form of nova activity in the sun to expand it. And it would be very hot in this country. In this, in this in this hand, yeah, this country, the, in this world, <laughs> not just this country, but the whole world, and it wouldn't take much for that to happen. It, the sun all it has to do is come out a, you know, a couple thousand, couple, you know, a couple thousand uh, miles out, you know, further out, or it would change the heat drastically in this, in this uh, for us in, a, in this uh, planet. And it says it scorched men, and. This is kind of an interesting because the word for scorch means to torture with heat. Okay, this is a very strong word. It's not just to to feel hot, but it is literally the punishment behind it. The idea of punishment behind it to, to scorch yeah. and suffer. 
And in the, in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, it talks about a lot of times when they would burn people with hot pokers and everything and get them close enough that they, not, not only did they just poke them with them, but they would get them you know, close enough. They didn't necessarily burn them, but if you've been close enough to a heat to be, to, to be burnt without touching it, you can still, still happen. And this is the, the word behind this one, you know, that they were there to be tortured from this heat. And the men who were scorched with the great heat blasphemed God. <laughs> and blasphemy is a very, very strong word to be used. It means to speak out against, to reproach, to revile, to rail at, okay? And here the people are having a hard time. And we know that that's exactly what happens even today when bad things happen, a huge thing, what they call acts of God, a great flood or an earthquake. People will basically rail at God. You know, why did God let this happen? How come, you know, there's all these accusations that God, you could have stopped it and you didn't. It's all your fault. Key to this is people will oftentimes say, why do bad things happen? Your God is so strong, can't he stop bad things from happening? And the key to this is, God could stop all bad things from happening. He could take our free will away from us and make us robots and stop all bad things from happening. The only problem is the very people who say, can't God stop this from happening, are the ones that would then say, well, no, I don't want my free will taken away. I, just, I want to be able to make my decisions. Well, if your decisions can hurt somebody, the only way God could stop all evil would be to stop all of our free will. And nobody really wants that. When you talk to these people who say, can't God stop this? Yes, he could, but you don't want him to. Hopefully help people who hear this question. Your God is so impotent, he can't stop this. Well, he could, but you, don't want it. you really don't want him to. Because they don't want to give up their right to do wrong. If God wanted to stop evil, he would have to stop them from being able to do wrong things. He'd have to stop this thief from stealing because he's taking something that somebody else is going to consider a bad thing when they come home and nothing's in their house. Uh, the person who gets drunk and drives on the road and, and ends up, you know, maybe not even killing somebody else, but going off the road and being in the hospital, making others pay for their, for their hospitalization. Or worse yet, kill somebody on their way home. That person would not have wanted God to stop them from drinking, but he, wanted, he would want, them to, want him to stop the consequences. That, and God's not going to do that. It, there, he's made it very clear there are consequences for sin. If you're going to do something, you're going to face consequences on this earth as well as in heaven. He is not going to stop evil without taking away our free will to do wrong or good. Uh, so this is, hopefully this will help you as you're witnessing to people and somebody goes, well, you know, well, you, know, you must have a weak God. He can't stop it. Well, he could, if, but he, we and wouldn't he want it. If he could if he wanted to, and, but we wouldn't want him to. But here, people are blaspheming God. And basically, the question is, you know, they're going, well, this, this mean individual. Because remember, they're worshiping, the, they're worshiping the beast, the Antichrist, Thank and his image. Him. But see, he is still putting on a pleasant face for them right now, okay? He's, you know, he's their God. He's doing miracles. He's... He's the good guy in all of this as God is raining down punishment. He's the good guy. They blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues. And this word is, is, has authority, okay, has authority over the plagues. They're recognizing that it's God who has authority, God sending this to them, which should show them that the, who they're worshiping is not powerful enough to protect them, but it doesn't. And it, they did not repent and give him glory. 
And this is to change your mind, to change your choices. Verse 10. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed with their tongues for pain, and blasphemed God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. All right, so here... Remember, we go back to chapter 13, where the beast was given a power and a seat and authority. Uh, that was 13. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth is the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Okay, so there's a place where the, the, the beast is going to sit in authority. And, one in, and on this plague, the angels pour upon his authority, upon his kingdom. And it says it was full of darkness. And this is darkness of mind, lack of understanding, being made blind in the mind. And I don't, you know, hopefully you're, you're not blind in mind, but you probably know people who, no matter how much truth you give them and speak to them, will not, cannot, whatever, like seem to understand what's being said. Well, I'll always want people to come, no matter whether they're seeming to understand or not. I want them to come because God's word does not return void. And But it is true that there's some people that don't, there's got to be love and peace and understanding because some people are slow to understand. Right, I understand that. Yeah. And believe me, uh, I'm slow. The hardest thing for a pastor or a teacher is to say something and then watch somebody fall right into, especially when it happens within just a week or so of when they taught, and they fall for it, and you just feel like, you know, you get to the place where, did I waste my time or not, and, and you keep going over it, but you just love the people, and you just keep teaching, you keep teaching them, mostly because I know I do the same thing. <laughs> I, like I hear the same thing and fail, yeah, so. I say it over and over a couple of times because that really helps me out because I don't learn the first time. Mm -hmm. No way. Most people don't. And a lot of people don't learn until they go through something. That's true, too. And a lot of people have to learn the hard way. <laughs> uh, they can't be taught in a, to avoid it. They've, yeah. got, they've got to walk through it and say, well, I wish I had listened to that. <laughs> I wish I'd listened to mom and dad, the pastor, the preacher. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't, wouldn't have gone through this. <laughs> So his kingdom was full of darkness. People had their minds blinded. They were not able to understand. And it said they gnawed their tongues in pain. Okay. And uh, it talks again in verse 11 about the pains and their sores. I mean, they're, they're in so much pain. Have you ever been in a place where you've almost wanted to, you bear down on your teeth, almost to the place where you hurt, or you kind of bite your tongue, not to bring blood up, but just to... You, <laughs> refocus rather than and this is what he's talking about that whole idea of just you know trying to get over something to draw their mind away from the pain that they have and they continue to blasphemy God they blaspheme they continue to to rail at God because of their pains and their sores and they still don't repent they still don't change their ways and this is sad when you see people in this and this is the whole world pretty much being 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 considered but even today there are people who will not change their ways no matter how much you give them the gospel no matter how much pain they go through it's just they don't they don't want to change and we meet people like that we meet people that are they're so far into their drunkenness or their drugs that they just will not change because basically they kind of like they kind of like where they're at they need to change their attitude and they have to hit. They have to hit bottom hard enough, deep enough, long enough to finally realize, you know, hey, what am I here for? Uh, this is why Skid Row has so many missions where people, you know, a lot of the people in Skid Row were at one point fairly well off, high up in companies, but they got so addicted to whatever their 
their drug of choice, whether it was drugs or alcohol, that they ended up losing everything. Their jobs, their families, and they ended up in the bottom. And until they hit, woke up one day and said, what am I doing here? Look what I gave up before they really start to seek help. And then some people never, ever get to the place where they say, look what I gave up. They just wallow around in the, in the, in the gutter saying, well, I'll just, I guess this is where I'm going to have to stay. And this is where God's at with these people. They're not ready to repent. And you would think of with all, you know, oozing sores and pain and no water to drink and they've been scorched, their bodies are being scorched by heat. You know, and we're talking about scorched. You know, this is not talking about hot summer days. This is, you know, we, we're probably looking, the, you know, to be scorched with heat, we're probably looking 120, 130, 140 degrees. You know, there has been a major shift in what's going on. And this is why one of the commentators really, he used the word nova, the sun going nova, which would be an act of God because our sun is really too young to go nova. But God could do that. God could, God could start it into a nova phase. And if that was the case, your temperatures could go astronomical. And, you know, it could be several flares, you know, heavy flares that are going out, out for far. Uh, but it's going to cause them to rebel. The darkness of their mind is going to cause problems. Blindness of their thoughts. Verse 12, And the sixth angel poured his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the waters thereof dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And this is going to be talking about the major battle, Armageddon. We're going to get to Armageddon a little further down here, but it's the preparation for the Armageddon is that the Euphrates dries up. And an army out of the east will march upon Israel. And there will be a whole world coming against Israel at that time. And uh, if you look at Isaiah 41, chapter 2, uh, chapter 41, verse 2, We'll start at verse 1. Keep silent before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near. Let them, then let them speak. Let them come near together to judgment, who rise up the righteous man from the east, called, called him to foot, give the nations to him, and made him rule over the kings, to give him dust of his sword, and to be driven stubble in his brow. And this is all through the Old Testament. God talks about the kings of the east rising up against Israel and the whole world coming against them and Israel is going to stand by themselves and really even today they pretty much stand by themselves the US has been a major supporter of them for years and with our current president we're not supporting them very well he says we're still supporting them but you watch his actions and they're being isolated uh, they've had a few European helps in the last you know in the last year and a half but Pretty much, Israel stands by themselves and always has. And God is their protector. And it is amazing when you study Israel's victories, how much victory they have had over the years that are just miracles. <laughs> Huge miracles in, in how God has protected them. And he's going to continue doing that. And during this period that we're in here in the scriptures, in this part of Revelation, God is dealing with Israel and protecting Israel. 
Okay. And so we're going to see this just, and this is why it's very, when you read this, you think a lot, if you think back to the plagues of Egypt, you see a lot of these things being repeated. <laughs> these kind of plagues of Egypt coming, coming up. But the way is provided, made so that the armies can march right into Israel. And it's kind of interesting that it's not necessarily needed in this day and age because we've got airplanes and, and everything else, but to remove the, 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 the impediment of a large river makes it easier to just march an army across the, across the country uh, there to them. Verse 13, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beasts and out of the mouth of the false prophets, for they are the spirit and devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garment lest he, be, lest he walk naked and they see his nakedness. And he gathered them together unto a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Alright, so here we see what it describes as Three unclean spirits like frogs. <laughs> okay. And this is kind of an interesting term because if you go back to the, again, we go back to the plagues of Egypt. One of the frogs. plagues was frogs. Yeah. Okay. Frogs in Egypt were with, representing the, the represented the goddess Hekil, H-E-Q-I-L. What's that? Egyptian fertility goddess uh. who looked like a frog. <laughs> <laughs> Demons have often appeared in the ancient world as reptiles. Frogs, snakes, lizards, okay? And why that is, I don't know. Uh, we have the very first appearance of Satan in the scriptures, as, you know, as a, as a, as a serpent. Yeah, yeah. Well, it says serpent. I believe that he, was a, he appeared as a dragon, but which was a, considered a serpent when you read any of the old literature, the serpent. serpent snake. Yeah, it, it could be. I'm not going to argue with it, yeah. but I read a lot of medieval history and, and stories and I stuff, and dragons are always referred to as serpents, serpents. Oh, okay. okay, as large serpents. Uh, so I believe that it was a dragon because dragons are also known to be speak, have speech with people. So... That's why I kind of, I tend to believe that he was a dragon, but that's my, that's my. <laughs> so we have these unclean spirits, like it, like unto frogs, some kind of reptilian activity. And they come out of the dragon, out of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets. The, the unholy trinity that has been, been talked about all through, all through this, these three spirits pr proceed out of. And that what other purpose? To work miracles? to go forth to the kings of the earth and to the whole earth to gather them for the battle against God Almighty. <laughs> okay, so they're going to go out, they're going to do miracles. They're going to produce miracles. How did, this, how, did the, how did Israel get their victory? They were, God did mighty miracles for them. How did the church get started? God did mighty miracles for the church. Here, Satan is going to send out his demons to go do mighty miracles and mighty works and say, hey, we're, we've got the power. <laughs> you know, you've got this God, you know, God has been sending all these problems to you or somebody, you know, I don't know if they'll use the word God, but somebody's been attacking you. We have the power to be able to help you win this battle and we just need you all to gather together for this big battle. 
And how they're going to do it, who knows, but they're going to do something to deceive men. And it's not hard to deceive people. If they really want to believe something, they're going to believe it. And here they're going to be looking for somebody to rescue them from all the problems they have. The water's been turned to blood. They've gotten their, these sores. They're being scorched with heat. They'll be looking for somebody to give them a victory. And that is when you're in that kind of a desperate place, you're actually in your, your most vulnerable place to be deceived. Because somebody can come along and say, I can help you. And I know your problems and I can help that's you. That's sad and scary. Well, that's what the con game is all about. Yeah. You find somebody who is deceivable, who can be led down a path and, and a moment of weakness or whatever it is, and you lead them down and then you take everything they, they do have and, and go forward from that. that but that is what... Yeah. A con will not work on somebody who is very strong and, and not, a, not in need. But that's also how we're led down, down the path to sin. If, you, if you're married and you have a good marriage and a strong marriage, you're not going to have a temptation to have adultery. The people who fall into adultery have something wrong with their marriage. They, they're not getting along at that moment. They've been fighting. They don't feel appreciated. And then somebody starts giving them that appreciation. And what happens in most people do not wake up one morning and say, I think I'm going to go commit adultery today. That is not the way it happens. They, they, they go to work and they have somebody of the opposite sex that's, sex that's given them a, the appreciative, you look good today, you look, you know, you know, you, you know whatever it might be, and, the, and it starts out as just a friendship. And then the next thing you know, it's much more than a friendship. And it's easy to fall into that line of prey because you had a vulnerability that is been turned against you. This is what's happening here. These spirits are going out. There's a vulnerability. They're, they're angry at God. God is, God is departed. So there's a vulnerability these, these demons are going to go take, take advantage of. People are angry with God because they're all of this problems and they're going to try to gather them together for this big battle against God. Yeah. And why you'd want to battle against God, I don't know, but this is, they have not, but, but you also have to understand these are people who have rejected God all along. Okay, the, the, the Christian church has been taken out. The Jewish believers are now being hidden. A couple of verses ago we talked about them there. So this world right now is a very evil world that we're talking about. And evil to the point that we can't even comprehend. Because the church is a restraining, even as poor as the church is at restraining evil right now, we are a restraining mark against evil. We're, we, we are out there saying, it is evil, it is wrong. Okay? Even though they've said, well, you know, homosexuality is okay, you can have no, 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 no fault divorce, you know, all these different things that are out there, the church is saying, the, the proper church, <laughs> they're saying what the Bible says, it's wrong. You're making, making wrong decisions. And the salt and the light is still there, but during this time, there's nothing out there to tell people that it's wrong other than their conscience. Their conscience is still there. God is going to prick their conscience and say, it's evil, it's wrong. But there's no external voice saying, it's wrong. So verse 15 says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed he is he that watches and keeps his garment, lest he walk in nakedness and shame, and they see his shame. So there still are God's people out there. And he's saying, beware. <laughs> Keep watch. And this is something we as Christians have to do even in today's world. 
beware, keep watch. Satan is out there as a roaring lion trying to get us to fall. The world is trying to work against us in this in, in, anymore. And then, of course, we have our own sinful nature that's working against us, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of, the, of, the, of life. You know, there, we've got three things that work against us that are in us. We want to sin anyway if we're, if we're not living, living in, in God's spirit. We've got the world who's trying to entice us into sin by saying it's okay, it's not bad. We've got Satan trying to, to bring us in, and Satan's are wonderfully skilled at what he does. He comes into us, he tells us, well, you know, God will forgive you if you fail. Have you ever had a Christian, especially, it's always Christians that do this, well, God loves me and he's going to understand that I failed. You know, there, that is a true statement. But <laughs> it is not an excuse to go out there and sin. And Satan will use that. Well, you know, God's going to forgive you if you sin. You know, it's, it's only, it'll only be this one time. Yeah. And then you sin. And he's right there in your face accusing you. What a terrible sinner you are. Nobody in that church is going to want, to want you to be around anymore because you've, you're a sinner and you failed and you did, you're, you're rotten. And, you're, and you know, the same one who tempts you and says that there's not going to be a problem will then turn around and accuse you. And you know what I'm talking about if you've ever, if you've ever done something where you've, you, you really stood against it, you stood against it, and then you just fell and you're going, you know, oh, God will forgive me. And then all of a sudden all this condemnation comes upon you mostly from outside and it's Satan condemning you and he gave you what is true but not to be not to go out and sin okay once if you fail God is going to forgive you he's still going to love you and that's a true statement but it should not lead us into sin and then he condemns us for having sinned and this is how Satan works because he's hoping the condemnation will keep you from the other Christians and you know how many times I've seen that happen? So many times where somebody falls into sin and the very first thing they do is get under condemnation and say, well, I just can't go to the church because they're not, you know, they're not going to love me. They're not going to accept me. Or I might have to say that I did it. <laughs> people, people have this attitude that somehow when they become a Christian, the biggest problem that people have is they expect others to be perfect. And it's, it happens all the time. And I hear people say this, you know, well, uh, you know, Christians are supposed to, you know, you go to church and it's supposed to be a, a safe, perfect place to go. Well, unfortunately, church is made up of human beings, so it's not a safe, perfect place to go. Uh, only safe and perfect place we're ever going to go will be when we get to heaven. And until then, we're dealing with people who have sinned. They're going to say things that, that, that are going to hurt us. They're going to do things that are hurt us. They're going to be human. Humans are sinful. We've got to understand that people are going to do things that are going to hurt. And there's no perfect place. You know, and and I, get, I know I've met people who think that the church is supposed to be the perfect, safe place. Well, the good news is that for the most part, it is a more perfect, more safe place than most places. Yeah. But it still has human beings in it. If we confess our sins one to another, we better be careful who we confess them to. Uh, There's an old joke about, you know, three pastors getting together and they decide they, they needed to open up to each other. And one goes, well, you know, you know, I steal from the offering plate all the time. And you know, he goes, oh, that's terrible. The other guy goes, the other guy goes, well, you know, I have a problem with women. I've had, you know, had an affair with two women in my church. And, guy, and they go, oh, that's terrible. But and the other guy goes, well, guys, I have a real big problem. And he goes, I'm a gossip. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you know that's the idea no matter where you're at there's going to be people out there that are going to mistreat you even in the church even even good people 
And if you ever think you found the perfect place, it's, you stay there long enough, you're going to find out it's not. And yes, mo you know, the idea of us being loving and kind to each other is where we're supposed to be. And, and a lot of Christians are just that. And even those Christians have problems, but not everybody in the church is even a Christian. So we have to be careful of what we're looking for. And we need to understand the very nature of this is bad things are going to keep happening to us until we die. Period. Yeah. You good know, or bad. Good or bad, things are going to happen to us for, for the rest of our life. Until we go to heaven, these things are going to happen. That's, that's part of being a Christian is to love one another, to build one another up, to edify, to, to make it a, a safer place, you know, be as safe a person as you can. But we are human and we will fail. That's why people will look at pastors and, they, and they're shocked when their pastor fails or says something unkind to them because he's in a bad mood. You know, he, he had a fight with his wife before he came to church that morning and, and you're there to count. And, you're, you're, okay. yeah, and he's supposed to have a smile on his face and give you good counsel when you're telling him the same thing he just had a fight over. We're human. We're going to make mistakes and we need to forgive one another. And yes, there's, there's that idea that we should be perfect, but we're not going to be. Nobody's going to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect on this world. And it comes down to attitude. If, I'm, if I know that people are human and they're going to make mistakes, when they make a mistake, I'm not going to be shocked. And this is what I tell people. I know that people are sinners. I know that they are basically evil, even if they're saved. <laughs> so when they do something wrong, I am not shocked that they acted like a human being. So it makes it easy for me to deal with people because I, they're not surprising me. They're being who they are, and it doesn't surprise me. But I've met people who seem to have this idea that Christians are supposed to be perfect, and when a Christian is mean or not nice or, or does something that hurts them, they get all shocked and bent out of shape. Like, how could they do that? The, yes. We said this the other night. The two reasons you should be in church are to learn and to be in fellowship with other members of the body so that, you can, so that you can build them up and you can be built up. Now, yes, bad things can happen. You're going you're gonna to say every once in a while, say something that's going to hurt somebody, and they're going to say something that will hurt you because we're not perfect. But in essence, the church should be a place where you come to and feel good about having come, come to. No, that's why we stay on the Word of God. See, I don't spend a lot of time on what people are doing wrong because I want to teach this is what you're supposed to do. To learn, yeah. If we teach what you're supposed to do, you, you look at what you're doing and say, well, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. Well, I need I to go do that. that. With me long enough and you start telling me about your problems, I'm going to bring you back to what the Bible says and what you're supposed to live like anyway. Right. Because the world says you talk about your problems and you get them out in the open and everything oh, gets cleared. One of the great, I've already said one of the greatest things I like about this church where it, is, where it has come to in, in, recent, in the recent years. When I first got here, by the time I finished the sermon, trying to get to the back door, the whole church would have been empty pretty much. I, I mean, I, I got to a place where I said the closing prayer as I was going to the back door so I could say goodbye to everybody. Lately, you get down here and it's like, I've ended at 12 and it's 1.30 and there's still people you know, hanging around talking and I love that. And I'm not trying to push people out the door. I mean, I've got to, sometimes I've got to stop because yeah. I've got things I've got to do. Yeah. But I'm not sitting there trying to push everybody out the door because I love the interaction amongst the Christians and the fellowship. Yeah. That's why I like the end-of-the-month fellowship dinners. I, I like doing the men's breakfasts. I have no problem with that. 
so people go where they want to be. We want to be with God, so that's why we're here. That's what right. I learned on Greg Laurie, I think. Right, and people, if people didn't like coming here, they wouldn't come. Yeah. And you know, yeah. the key is that we want fellowship. And I do agree with you that I want that, that time with people. Uh, I just am pretty busy. I've got, yeah. you know, you got to remember, I'm. Is, you don't live in chloride. I don't live in chloride. I've got a certain, I've got a certain amount of time yeah. to get my job done and you get going. Five of you. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if I could get along with myself. I've thought about that. If I could clone myself, I'd probably yeah. be in trouble because everybody, we'd all be running into each other doing the same thing. So I don't think I could even work with myself. So all right. So so they're being gathered in a place called Armageddon, which is a valley just to the north of of Jerusalem. It's lots of battles have been fought there. Uh, and it actually, Armageddon is a defeat for Satan, okay? It, Armageddon, you know, we talk about this, you know, there was an Armageddon out there. Well, no, you guys don't even know what Armageddon is all about, you know, when they, when they use that. Armageddon is going to be akin to such battlefields as Maranath, uh, Marathon and Waterloo. Okay, Waterloo you probably all have heard about, right? Waterloo was the defeat of Napoleon. That was his. That was his Waterloo. He he was totally defeated. Maranatha was a Greek battle, and we get a mar marathon. Excuse me, was a Greek battle. And we get the word marathon out because the the oh. runner ran 26.3 miles to go give news of the victory of at mar at marathon, and it was a total devastating victory uh, loss to the to the losing side. Armageddon is going to be a terrible devastating loss to Satan all right so he's being he's gathering his people in you know gathering there verse 17 and the seventh angel poured out his oh one other thing I wanted to bring out uh, Armageddon is literally means the city or hill of Megiddo and there's lots of things the Megiddo has been a famous battle place all through history for Israel uh, in Judges 5, nine, uh, five uh, Barak wins the, the battle in Megiddo. Barak was a judge, and uh, Deborah was, uh, Deborah was a judge, excuse me, and, and Barak was the general who went out to fight, and he said that, you know, I'd only go to fight if you go with me, Deborah, and he goes, well, fine, you won't get to kill Sis Sisera, and a woman got to kill Sisera instead, drove, drove a uh, tent stake right through his temples, right, and yeah. pierced him down to the ground. <laughs> Um, Gideon wins at Megiddo. That's where the battle was for Gideon. Gideon and his 300 was in Megiddo. Saul, King Saul, was killed in Megiddo. Uh, Josiah was killed in Megiddo. Josiah was one of the great kings of, of Judah. Ahazariah uh, uh, was killed in Megiddo. This is, this is a place that has a lot of history for battles. Uh, Napoleon, when he was in that area, said, or Alexander the Great, excuse me, said it was the perfect battlefield <laughs> because it was, at that time, it was in the valley and, you know, very, very flat. So lots of battles have had there. That's where this battle is going to happen. The seventh angel poured his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. Now, who rules the air in the scripture? Does anybody know? Satan rules the air. He's the god of this world. He rules the air. The last plague is poured upon what he rules. All right? And the voice out of heaven says, it is done. And this is literally, it is made, it is done, it is finished. 
And it's not the same word as finished when Jesus said it is finished. It is just something that has been created. And verse 18, And there were voices and thunders and lightnings and a great earthquake such as not been seen, not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. The last vial brings great violence to this world and an earthquake. Now, we've seen some big earthquakes. We've heard of big earthquakes, okay? We're going to look at this earthquake and what it does. Verse 19, And the great city, that's Babylon, was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And the great Babylon came into remembrance before God to give unto her a cup of wine and fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men great hail out of the heavens, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, for the plague thereof was exceedingly great. So here is the earthquake. The earthquake says the nations, the cities of the nations fall. The mountains fall. This is an earthquake of tremendous you know, uh, uh, cataclysm. And if we go back to the sun being, being touched and the scorch in the earth, and it, you think in terms of a nova, it would shake up the earth pretty bad because it's going to change the gravitational pull and everything else on the earth and shake it. So this could be very much part of the same cycle that's out there. The sun's been touched, it's nova, changing the gravitation, shaking the earth, and shaking the earth as no earthquake has ever <laughs> shaken the earth. And I don't know literally that every mountain falls flat, but that is what it says, and we're going to take it literally. That means that mountains have come down and got returned back to the formation of before Noah's flood, because Noah's flood indicates that the whole world was broken up and all of the land was broken up and shifted and put onto plates. God can just as easily turn that back and say, okay, we're going to do an earthquake to return it back to a virtually flat land. And that's what he says. And as I've told you at the very beginning, if it can be done and it makes sense to say that it's what it is, then I'm going to say he's going to make the land pretty flat. No more mountains. And a great hill that fell down, the weight of a talent, the hill. Now, this doesn't mean anything to you unless you know how much a talent weighs. A talent of silver is 100 pounds. A talent of gold is 200 pounds. Can you imagine hailstorm with 100 and 200 pound hailstones? Crush your car. <laughs> Crush your car, go through your house. This was the last judgment coming down from God. And the earthquake shaking everything, that's going to damage everything out there. And then out of the sky falls hail that's going to crush you think about the damage being done by golf ball or softball sized hail you know and you, you'll hear about that how it destroyed cars and broke you know broke through people's you know occasionally it'll break through if they, on a good one coming just right and hitting a weak, weak roof could do damage to the roof we're talking 100 200 pound hailstone <laughs> Well, yeah, but you know, you drop something from the sky, you know, oh, yeah. that's 100, 200 pounds. It's going through anything wow. out there. It's going to go through the roof, you know. And yet, people will blaspheme God, and accuse God, and not repent because of all this going on. And He will say, you know, 
big big issues. And then we're going to come in and we're going to see really the big, the problems as we go into another little division here of other history. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from you and to, to see what you'd have us do. Help us and guide us in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.